Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path podcast, actual play of the Hell's Rebels Adventure Path, rumor mill number four. Four. Looks Woo. like we made it. We did make it. Uh, so far. So far. And nobody died. Yeah, yeah. yeah nobody. Nobody's teeth. died, uh, been been permanently disfigured, or uh, anything like that. So, yeah. Yep. Check back in the next room reel, number five. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure uh, uh, Victoria's got, like, some alligator scars or something at this point. But. <laughs> oh, I, as adventurers, we all have to have scars. That's, like, mandatory. Yeah. Yep. Well, let's uh, dive into a quick recap, then. So, episode 10 saw the Silver Ravens officially refounded after we finished up in the wasp nest. Indeed. And that's this is when we went over the revised rebellion mechanics, uh, which I'm still not sure I fully understand, but we'll we'll figure it out as we go. That's right? why we have Rick <laughs> to explain to us when it becomes pertinent. Yep. I have substantially simplified it by like <laughs> at least removing about a quarter of the overall mechanics. Gracious. <laughs> So hopefully it will be it'll play a lot more streamlined. Uh, again, I didn't want to bore people with a uh, an entire you know. Now we're gonna go page by page through this and go you over everything. You should have just made a PowerPoint presentation that people could have downloaded. That's true. I could, I could have. <laughs> I mean, you still could. I still could technically. Don't hold me to that. I was gonna say on the on the list of, of things I would not have expected Heather to say is make a PowerPoint presentation. Make a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> Clearly, you've never been in the corporate world where those things are poison. Well, <laughs> but necessary. I hate PowerPoint presentations so much. So yeah, yeah. You know, gave everyone kind of a, a little taste of how the rebellion mechanics will work. But honestly, it's a lot like driving a car. You really just need to know how the interface that you will be dealing with works, and the mechanics are all under the hood. Don't worry about. Yeah, mostly I just know that. I roll security stuff, and that's really pretty <laughs> much all I need to know. <laughs> yes, Ross is most like mostly I just know I slam down the gas. Mm-hmm. That's Nicolo. <laughs> all gas all the time. We're basically <laughs> doing that thing like you've seen in like cartoons and stuff where it's like three people driving a car because like they've all been turned into mm. babies or something. So like one person's on the gas, one person's on the brakes, one person's on the shifter, and one babies? person's steering. I, what is I don't happening? know where this reference came from because yeah. when on earth did this happen? I don't Rugrats? know, but it's happened. <laughs> I, I believe I made the mistake by making the car comparison. It's a lot <laughs> like Voltron. Where every person controls an individual element of Voltron, and together, <laughs> yeah. Power Rangers. Yeah, I was the same. My, my brain, like when you started talking about like starting the car, I was like, what? Like the rescuers down under? Like what? Mm. <laughs> yes, like the rescuers down under. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where they work everything. Anyway, yeah. that's true. Um, I actually got that so one. So yeah. <laughs> yes, Roz, yeah. I got the reference mm. you knew. <laughs> So, yeah, you guys got to go through the uh, rebellion mechanics, and uh, that was kind of fun and interesting. Also, I angered Calistria, so that was fun. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. we don't know if you really um, angered her yet. We just know yeah. that you toppled her statue on accident, and that yeah. may come back to bite you in the butt. I was yeah. going to say, I don't feel like she's the kind of deity that gives us a pass because it was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> well, she probably just wants you to do something and uh, amends. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, you know, Lucia got to have a brief conversation with Laria yeah, pertaining towards the Belfar network as well. And my girlfriend. Yep, delving a little bit into her backstory. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to point this out. You did not mention girlfriend yeah, whatsoever you, you before. You just kept saying it's my friend. No. Special friend. No, no, no. Female friend. Girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Sorry, poor choice mm-hmm. of words. Yes, my friend. <laughs> 
in in the modern day, there's a slightly different context to the term <laughs> yes. girlfriend than you know in the nineteen nineties or something. Girlfriend. Yep. <laughs> you didn't use yeah, you didn't use the proper intonation to deliver to deliver that as a girlfriend and not a girlfriend. Maybe it is a girlfriend and not a girlfriend. I mean, we don't know. Why not both? It could be both. Mm. Uh, But uh, episode 11 actually featured Lucia right at the beginning because she has come down with the filth fever. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's be honest. Knowing me as a player, we all knew I would be the first to fall in the diseases. <laughs> we yeah, you're, you're always the disease Diseases person. in second edition are way worse than in first edition. They are Holy brutal God. So in great. second edition. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, in first edition, if you're not familiar, it's mostly that you take a bunch of stat penalties over time, and eventually, if one of them goes down to zero, then that's a big problem. But, and it yeah. might kill you. It doesn't always even kill you. Yeah, it depends yeah. on the disease. But in this yeah. case, no, there's there's death. There's death at the end. You're gonna mm-hmm. die, and it's pretty rapid too, as we saw. Yeah, relatively speaking, yeah. You either depending get on the individual disease, yeah. 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 Well, that's why uh, Adria went all mama bear and took mm-hmm. care of Lucia, uh, while the rest of the ravens decided to go talk about the murders in the Devil's Nursery, and mm-hmm. that's when we were introduced to the Cloven Hoof Society. Sure. Yes, indeed. I believe the Cloven Hoof Society had come up on a number of occasions before that, but never yeah. really been like explored as this. Um, it seems to be like a chair. I just gathered that it's sort of a charity organization for community the type center. Of, yeah, community yeah, it's, center. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. a charity community center. Shelter, union, like. It's kind of the old school YMCA. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know. yeah. It's all of these yeah. and more. Yeah, which, uh, you know, Niccolo has a lot of involvement to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, the last two episodes were a little bit, uh, were not necessarily Niccolo centric, but they delved in a lot more to the, the plight of the Tiflings in. Chiliacs in general and in Cantargo in specific, uh, as well as, you know, other than when they're just being murdered on the street, which is horrible, but also the general issues that they constantly have to deal with, which is horrible. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, that led us into episode 12, where we actually began investigating the murders and kind of went out on a little patrol and Mm kind of caught up on everything. And then the very end... We were able to meet uh, Hedeman Hayes and Straya in episode 11. Straya of a story. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, kind of got to talk to them about uh, everything going down. Uh, but it was not, it was at the very end of that episode that we found out that there had been another murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, a young seamstress in the employ of Hedeman Hayes named Para. And episode 12 is where we actually began investigating her murder. And we discovered that Nico had a sordid past. <laughs> yes. That was a pretty big revelation, the first bit of, like, Nico's backstory we've kind of gotten. Mm-hmm. That's true, that's true. Yeah, Nicolo has not been super forthcoming about his past so far, and there are reasons for that, but... I mean, yeah, if, you, if you're if you a former, like, reformed criminal in any case, you very rarely want to, like, be like, by the way, I used to be a criminal, because, mm. you know, people kind of judge you for that. Mm. That's very true. Yeah, and it's it's something that had been kind of a... Uh, yeah, I know that there was some discussion about it in the early episodes. I think even episode one. You yeah. Know, there's a lot of the, the Tiflings grudgingly accepting Niccolo. Even when it was like... Uh, I think it's the funeral scene in the first episode when mm-hmm. the uh, previous murder victim of the, uh, the murder-plaguing Devil's Nursery was buried... 
And the brother went over to thank Strand. It's like, actually, you know, Niccolo did a whole lot. And there was that like long stare between them and the mm-hmm. tense handshake and everything. That- oh, I thought he was like the girl's ex-boyfriend or something. You know, like Nico had dated the girl and then the girl oh. was dead. And yeah, no. the brother didn't like him. No. no Niccolo only kind of knew her. Like he wasn't really, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't close or anything. But yeah, so there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of tenseness there, and uh, you still don't really know any of the details pertaining towards that, but perhaps you'll find out. We've known each other for all of, I think, four days now, so I don't know if Nico like, is ready to... Yeah, like yeah. like three or four days. Yeah. Let's have yeah. a conversation about this thing that I'm doing everything that I can to move past. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm trying to put my best foot forward here, not get dive into these issues. Yeah. But yeah, you had an opportunity to meet Hedeman Hayes there. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know why I always nice feel the need to say both first and last name with him. Other than it has a nice alliteration. Yeah, he just yeah. feels like the kind of person. Yeah. Yeah. He feels like the kind of person you want to address formally. Who uh, I, I think some of the party may have been a little bit suspicious of him, but I think some oh, of that no. might just be the voice I use for him. I like him. I'm not suspicious of him. Cesare's got to make an excuse to go order some clothes so he can get his flirt on. <laughs> <laughs> He's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. We'll get some cloaks. It'll do a whole thing. But yeah, and then you guys got to uh, investigate. Yeah. Yeah, Victoria got to kind of uh, show her investigative chops there. and But mm-hmm. she's not really good at delegating because she's so used to doing things by herself. So it was very much like, a, oh, I should I should tell you to do things so you're not just standing around all willy-nilly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I mentioned this back in the day when we did a review of The Investigator. Or we did a review where we talked about all the classes. The Investigator, hands down, has the best class feature names. Yeah. The feature names are good, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. she basically showed up and said, I'm on the case. That's a class feature. That's odd. Hmm, class feature. I'm going to pursue a lead, class feature. Yeah. Let me cue <laughs> you in. They're pretty fun. <laughs> I enjoy them quite a bit. I hate that it's Tooth Fairies. I hate it so much, and I don't really know why, but I just hate it. <laughs> I think it's part of a bigger thing. But yeah, the only sure. reason Jess got that is because we've seen them previously. Yep, because yeah. we played with them if and they exploded. If you had not encountered them previously, you would probably not be aware of all the weird things they can do. Well, only well, it, only Jessica knows because Adria doesn't know crap. Adria has no idea. She just is like, a <laughs> uh, tooth? Right? That's mm-hmm. creepy. Yeah, because Adria, a uh, little behind the screen here, Adria critically failed her nature check. So despite <laughs> being the highest nature in the party, she's just like, hmm... I know nothing pertaining. All I know about tooth fairies is they give you money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You bargain with them. It's fine. But like any fae, they're pretty bad. Because I, I think the thing that really would put me off is if this entire string of murders was just random happenstance. That's what I think I don't like about mm-hmm. it, Ross, is that it's mm-hmm. like, wow, there's been all this chaos and everything, and people think there's a murder, but oh, no, it's really just a group of tooth fairies just doing See, I what don't, they do I don't think that's it yeah. though I think it's yeah. part of a bigger plot well it here's be. why so the tooth fairies had to work together to put everybody in that alley to sleep and then attack this uh, girl which shows a level of like coordination and planning that tooth fairies in general don't yeah. have see that's yeah. yeah I would argue against that if that's your logic behind it Mm-hmm. Because using their natural spell-like abilities in coordination, first off, they, they work in courts, so they commonly work in coordination. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like saying, you know, it's it's weird for dogs to use pack tactics to surround and drive, you know, an animal towards a place where they're lying in wait and ambush. It's like, no, it's it's almost instinctual level for them. For me, yeah. is why is it always 
tieflings. Why is it only in Devil's Nursery? They could go mm-hmm. anywhere in this whole city. Those are that's valid what makes it questions. Weird. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. what gets me. Yeah, because the the coordination and using their abilities isn't really odd. I'm willing to to see where it goes because I think that I think that you y'all are right that there is something more behind it. But if it is just turns out to be nope, just a group group of tooth fairies just hanging out doing what tooth fairies do, and that's just it. Then it's it, it feels a little weird. unsatisfying. Yeah, see, yeah. I, Ross pretty much was able to articulate what I what I hate about it. Yeah, that, I think yeah. somebody's going to be behind the tooth fairies. <laughs> yeah, could them. very well be, and so I guess we'll find out. It's like a Brotherhood we, of the Wolf situation, some sort yeah. of Pied Piper of tooth fairies. <laughs> it's too many coincidences. Also, with it having started the exact day as the Night of Ashes, like yeah. that's too much of a coincidence. There's a Willard like, in our midst. Know, we're gonna, we're gonna get to hear Rick do his really bad French accent, though. So I guess there's that. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's that's only if there's a monarch, which there might be coordinating <laughs> this entire thing. Uh, it's possible, but otherwise but, uh, the tooth fairies didn't speak our language. Tooth. That's what they said. Tooth. But um, yeah, no, I'm willing to see where it goes. Cesare speaks Sylvan, so I mean he can talk to the little monsters. But anyway. <laughs> Don't open your mouth near them, Cesare. Your beautiful teeth. Yeah, exactly. You got, yeah. you got to work on your ventriloquism. I've got the best defense. I have a cat around my oh, shoulders. There's nothing saying the tooth fairies, like, you know, recoil from cats. It does specifically say yeah. tooth fairies fear cats. Oh, and interestingly oh. enough, tooth fairies fear cats and flee from even newborn kittens. Let's go mm. get kittens. Everybody, oh. we're, we're adopting a cat. Everyone's getting a cat. <laughs> we're going to be the silver ravens and cats. Yes. <laughs> Everyone have a cat? They're all working together. It's not a mechanical effect, but it is part of the it is part of the folklore that surrounds them. So you can't you mean I can't pull a thing like in the mummy where I just no. have Raven no. in front of me <laughs> and they all like <laughs> I mean, you can make an intimidate check. Yeah. Very well. I yeah, I will I will allow will save from the tooth fairies to not be under a fear effect and run away, and I will require a will save from Raven not to fly into a berserk rage <laughs> and chase them down. Yeah. I was say, but you have to strongly present Raven, right? Like it's a full action to a vampire, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Two actions, yeah. Mm-hmm. Claws out. <laughs> yep. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing where it goes because I, I agree. I don't think that we're going to leave off here. So I'm looking forward to the next episode. I think that's going to be really interesting. Mm-hmm. To Belial's brew house. Well, and at le- yeah, as I was say, at least we have an idea of where we need to go. So yeah, in large part because of Bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The implication given there was that she managed to actually grab one of them and, in essence, squeeze the life out of it as they oh, were nice. her. Uh, okay, uh, and then sense. when it exploded, it exploded with enough force that, one, it coated her hand, two, it left some of the powder behind mm-hmm. where she died, and three, it exploded with enough force that it actually ruptured the pliers that it was mm-hmm. using, which is why you found one piece there, but the other piece was still clutched in her hand when she killed it. Mm-hmm. So... She gets vengeance from beyond the grave. Cool. Yeah, Sounds like she would have been a, uh, a very uh, impressive adventurer with a little training. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not a, set, a 2E class, but I'd give her brawler. I, I imagine that, you know, other than just pure dexterousness of uh, needing to be a seamstress, I imagine it's, it's a probably quite a workout for your hands. So Yeah. Oh, very, very strong uh, grip. It requires a strength. I mean, depending on what material you're working with, too, it requires a fair bit of strength just to get through. So, Oh, yeah, if you're working with, like, leather or something, yeah, it'd be a lot mm-hmm. harder. It was all that time of her bending uh, well bone for corsets. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Mm. 
Well, with uh, that lovely thought, of course it's. Let's go ahead and hop into our emails. <laughs> Yay, emails. Um, emails. So the we have. Of the short of the episode. No, no. What? Huh? I, I was making a segue with corset. The corset. It's like it cinches us together. I don't know. Yeah. Of course cool. it's email time. Ha <laughs> 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 uh, All right. So email one is from Andrew from Cambridge, UK. Hi, oh, Andrew. Taldor. Taldor. Yeah. For Taldor. <laughs> For yeah. Taldor. Uh, what, is the, what is the other town in Taldor? Uh, not Opara, but starts with a C. Mm. Casimir. Casimir, thank you. Oh, there you go. Oh, that makes sense. I Yep, I've run an adventure there. Mm-hmm. It's actually a coastal city, I've run too. an adventure there. You guys have played there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, yes. so Andrew from Casimir. Hey, y'all. Aww. Aww. Howdy, Andrew. <laughs> Greetings from Cambridge in the United Kingdom. Just finished your first rumor mill episode and heard about your giveaway. Turns out I'd already been ahead of the game and had already left you guys a review. (laughs) I'm Andrew on the right in the screenshot below. Oh, thank you. So I'm Andrew. Yeah, we appreciate that. (laughs) Well, yep. We've already, of course, done our uh, our giveaway for dice. So, uh, but thank you for entering, and thank you for entering before you even knew it was a thing. Yes, that's yeah. a review. <laughs> I highly encourage anyone to go out and write reviews, even uh, even of any of our shows. If you have not written a review, please do. It really helps mm-hmm. with analytics, which is boring, but useful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It helps people find us, basically. It's true. Well, he says, I'm not fussed about being included in the giveaway. My wife is imminently about to have our first baby. Oh, Aww. congratulations. Congrats. So I think Aww, my opportunities to roll dice are going to disappear <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> Only 18 years. Oh, that's not true. You can uh, teach kids way nah, earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Kids are old enough to hold dice. You can teach them to roll dice. Well, well you want them to not... Old enough to not swallow dice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. exactly. Or, or get them to like the oversized yeah. dice. Yeah, yeah the they foam make, ones. Yeah, they make big oversized foam dice. There we go. Mm-hmm. Sure. So he says, hoping to carry on listening when he's here and I'm driving around at night to get him off to sleep. I hear that's mm-hmm. a thing. <laughs> it is. Yeah, hook <laughs> him young. Uh, meant what I said in the review, and I'm super excited to see where you guys take the AP. I've got the first four books of Hell's Revels and have ambitions to run it in my group someday, so it's glad to hear your take on it. Awesome. Oh, thank you. A couple questions for your next rumor mill. Outside of Pathfinder, have you guys enjoyed playing any other RPGs? During the pandemic, me and my group have been trying out different systems and greatly enjoyed what we've sampled. Alien RPG from Free League was a highlight, and we're all looking forward to trying out the one-shot system Escape from Dino Island this weekend. Uh, what? Ooh. I need to play that. Um, oh, yeah. 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 I was about to say, Island. that one sounds like Jessica through and Escape through. Escape from Dino Island, you say? <laughs> call Cthulhu on the Discord. That's right. Play-by-post Call of Cthulhu. That was just fun. fun. Nobody died. It was amazing. It's Whoa. really good if you're bad at everything in that game. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of people have had the opportunity during the pandemic to play and experiment with a lot of new systems, which I think has been a great thing um, about being trapped at home. For the podcast, we've, of course, had just launched our Patreon before the pandemic hit. And so between that and getting ready to launch the new game that we're, of course, uh, doing a rumor mill for right now, I think we've we've mostly been focused on Pathfinder. Although I did pick up Blades in the Dark, and I am interested in maybe trying that out as a one-shot sometime. Oh, I'd love to be try fun. that out. And I would love to do some Call of Cthulhu. Mm. Starfinder's is, fun. I know it's Pathfinder it's adjacent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Starfinder's a lot of fun. Um, played a lot of that. Um, I played I've done, some 5e. 
I've, yeah, I've done some 5e. Um, you know, pros and cons to that. Yeah, no, I just, uh, I also enjoyed the Fate system and Starfinder and, um, you know, RuneQuest and some other stuff, but definitely lots of fun games out there, so. Well, we'll go ahead and move on to uh, Andrew's next question. You guys play a heck of a lot of Pathfinder, from mm-hmm. the sounds of it. No joke, man. <laughs> Too much, really. Well, I mean. No, there is no such thing, first off. <laughs> That's not even the question, guys. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, what I was if- pausing for a comma. <laughs> What attracts you to the game, and is there anything specific Second Edition has done that you're excited about? For Pathfinder in general, a lot of that was I played 3.0, 3.5 was when I really got. I played some AD&D back in the day, but that's when I really got into D20 systems, and then Pathfinder was uh, 1E was obviously the continuation of that. So basically, playing the same game for like 20 years, and I think that's just what I introduced just Jordan and Rachel with because that's the system I was playing and knew the best. Yep. Um, and Ross and Heather are already playing that with us, so. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Galarian and Pathfinder have a really good setting as mm-hmm. well. And mm-hmm. again, it was it was rules that Rick and Ross and I were all already familiar with from D&D 3.0, 3.5. So it was just, it wasn't like a whole brand new learning curve until second edition came out but i don't know i like the setting yeah. it's fun they put out good content yeah, the setting regularly sure. i think we've had this discussion before but i'm a big fan of pathfinder because uh in one e and two e's getting there um it's a it's a little bit different on this front that there are set rules for things where yes. you know if it if it is a brick wall this is the dc to climb it regardless there's not a eh, over bunder, you know, I know you guys have a plus 25 to climb, so I'm going to say it's a DC 30, even though I would have made the same brick wall DC 15 earlier. Yeah, because I don't want you all to yeah. go that way and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So, um, like, I, I, I like a system where, and Pathfinder does fail in this sometimes, but I like a system where whatever situation is presented, there is an unbiased rule that applies to it. Yep. Yeah, especially for organized play, it helps a lot to have kind of those set rules because you get consistency across games. So like Mm -hmm. in, you know, like a homebrew D&D game, for instance, there could be wild differences in the prices of items and the DCs and, you know, the the relative strength of monsters potentially. I mean, there's a lot of kind of wiggle room that you can kind of introduce, whereas Pathfinder is very kind of cut and dry. Yeah. Uh, as far as second edition is concerned, and I think I would usually default to the three-action economy for things I'm excited about. Uh, oh, yeah. But I found that the more that we played it, actually, I think the the over under ten critical success, critical failure. I love it. Yeah, I that's love it really so good. Much. It's, yeah, it's super interesting because it it means every role matters now. Yeah, I like the fact that wizard and well spellcasters in general cantrips are actually freaking like useful. Oh, yeah. So, Super useful, yeah. So, yeah, if if Cesare is out of his first level spells, it's not like, guess I'm gonna make crappy crossbow shots the rest of this day. Nope, lightning arc, zap, zap. <laughs> yeah. True, I also really like how animal companions work. Oh, yeah. It's a lot less crunchy and complicated. You just give them an action, and then they have two actions, and they can make a strike, or they can do whatever is within reason and that's yeah. I like that 
Yeah, I think for me, it's uh, second edition did a really good job of making the rules even clearer and with less exceptions, because I know we've had, if you listen to our first edition podcast, we probably cut out most of the times where we're just like, I think it's this way, but wait, there's this rule over here that says it needs to work like this. And, you know, the, the whole break enchantment discussion and all that. In some cases, that's true. My general argument is that Pathfinder, my my only big complaint with Pathfinder 2E so far is the fact that it has gotten vaguer with giving specific DCs for things. The DCs are different, but there's also like the rules for blindness and all the various implications are spread across three or four different traits or something. Like you have to chase things through traits now. That's kind of obnoxious as a GM. Yeah. I would have known about it if I wasn't GMing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think overall, like especially the overall accessibility of, of 2E is pretty good. Um, to be able to like get into it is not as much work to learn, you know, a 300 page rule book. You know, I'd like to echo a lot of the sentiments about the world of Galarian. I think that it is mm-hmm. a very cool setting. Um, oh, yes. I think that part of the reason that it appeals to me is that it feels pulpier than other oh, yeah. fantasy <laughs> settings, um, <laughs> which is, yeah. uh, I think, a big draw, at least for me. I just love the sort of like weird combination of science and fantasy and Mm -hmm. like horror and all this other stuff that just sort of all goes into virtually every adventure I've played so far, which I just think is really cool. Well, and it's also the fact it gets constant content updates for lack of a better term. Like if you think like video game DLC, like, yeah, here's an area. Let's talk, let's deep dive into like, I, I had a book on, famous ships uh there's ones on churches there's like Mm -hmm. they did an entire book on uh you know devil hierarchies and things like that so like there's a lot of depth in the lore whereas i feel in some settings like in other worlds are not as fleshed out because they Mm -hmm. haven't had like you know 12 years of history kind of been added onto them continuously um but one of the things that i like about how paizo did the switch to second edition is some other games when they've done that have like done like a time skip or some really huge weird event happens in the plot and that's why magic is different now gotta kill the god of magic we're changing the system yeah (laughs) Um, and paizo didn't do that it's like even though the rules are different well they but they didn't yeah but it wasn't as catastrophic i guess yeah i mean it was just it was an event in the plot it wasn't a this event happened and now that's why magic's different and that's why all this stuff works different it's and that's why all of your old favorite classes don't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, your yeah. bard wakes up and it's like, I, I'm a cold class now. Yeah, the, <laughs> the characters in the setting aren't aware that there has been a change in the universe yeah. to second edition, yes. and all mm. the lore be- from first edition, because there wasn't a time skip or anything like that, is still relevant. So even yeah, if yes. you're new to Pathfinder, you can still pick up a first edition book. And 90% of that content is still relevant content. There were some changes because they did reflect some things that the adventure paths have changed. But on the whole, a first edition book lore wise is just as useful in second edition as it was in first edition, which I think is great. (laughs) Yeah. I agree with all of these things. Yeah. <laughs> I also just mechanically speaking really like focus points. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um I think it's a really cool way I to like handle all these like, bonus powers. So. Good focus point. I like yeah, hero it, points. I keep forgetting that yeah. hero points are a thing. 
Well, that's because uh, you're a good dice nice. I do kind of agree. I, I don't know if it made it into the last episode or not. Like, sometimes the, um, the numbers of secret checks are a bit much. Yeah. That's probably turned I, I into one of my we could roll biggest more. gripes is just I miss rolling dice outside of combat. That being said, I have I also, from an editing side of it, go, wow, you guys don't really like meta as much. So, <laughs> for it. Lucia rolled horribly on her perception roll to search that grate, and no one went, oh, oh yeah, Jordan rolled really crappy. I better go. I'm going to go over there and search that grate also. Just not that I don't trust you, Lucia. But yeah. everyone went, no, we trust Lucia to, to search over there, and she didn't find anything. Moving on. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. And so, like, I do appreciate that level because it actually makes all of you, it kind of keeps you in the setting in the world as far as knowing what your character knows and only that. Hmm. But I yeah. wish that there was a, I wish that there was a way, I, this is what I wish. I wish there was a way in roll 20 for you guys to do the secret rolls and send them to me. For you to at least get to click the button to say, I'm going to make a knowledge check. There probably is a way to do that. There might be. Maybe there is. I would like that. Write in and let us know if you're a roll 20 person and when, you know how When that we works. get back in the studio, <laughs> we, we just string like hamster cage tubing and we roll the dice through that and it lands in Rick's dice tray. <laughs> we all have like, little, like, little hamster balls and we're like chucking them into the tube. <laughs> I, I already had that thought where I was just like, I could just easily get some PVC pipe, just angle it so when you drop the, drop the die in it, it just rolls down and then shoots out into a dice tray behind my screen. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a PVC pipe cutter. We can make this work. <laughs> yeah, until we get mad at him and then we chunk it down there just so it hits him. Or is that <laughs> just me? And it's not uh, a and pin, it's Rachel. Oh, my dice moment. Yes. Any just dice that hits me is a natural one. Yeah. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh What if it's accidental? What if I dropped it in gently and then my dice just decide to yeet itself off the board because that happens all the time? Yes, it's, a it's accidental then that Adria falls off a bridge. Look, <laughs> physics doesn't always work right, Rick. You should know this. <laughs> I didn't even intend to do that on purpose, but mm. that Jordan's dice rolls end up to Jessica's character falling off a bridge. And That's been very... <laughs> I feel this in my soul. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we need to uh, head on to our next email. So thank you, Andrew. He says, thank you, Andrew. Uh, thanks thank all. You. Hope you and yours stay safe and well in 2021. Much love from the UK. XL. Awesome. Congratulations you, on the little one. Yes, yeah. Congrats. Absolutely. Congrats. This uh, email is from the forever GM, Victor. Hey, Victor. Very cool. Where's Hi. Victor from? Usulab. Mm. He didn't say, so we get to pick. I like Usulab. Oh. Victor. Usulab. We always, we yeah. always do Usulab. Well, yeah, but Uslav. Victor sounds like a vampire name. From the Senate. He, he does okay, a little bit, true. yeah. That's true. Victor currently in his, uh, or finishing his doctorate at the Cinemaki School of Sciences. Ah, there you go. Mm. Oh, my favorite school. Try saying that <laughs> name five times fast. Cinemaki School of Sciences. It's anyway. an anagram, actually, as a fun side note. Yeah. Of Miskatonic. Uh, so our second email says, I just watched your interview with No Direction, and I have a few questions for you since you love numbers. Okay, Ooh, let's really? clarify here on who we loves We don't all numbers. love numbers. Yeah. Because it's really just Rick. I, I mean, yeah, I was going to say, who, who interacted with, with, numbers? with No Direction? It I mean, was they're fine. Rick. <laughs> And Ross. And Ross, and Ross. Yeah, Rick and Ross. Okay. Math is an unfortunate thing tied to this game I love so much. <laughs> you know? uh, to be fair, I like math and like numbers. I'm just not good at it. 
I, I'm not good at the mental math bits, so having uh, like Hero Lab do the math for me, now that works. We're yeah, good. Yeah, for sure. Also, you guys can't complain because, again, secret checks. You're not doing math. I'm doing the math. So the computer's doing You're the math. You're not doing any math. No, that's true. <laughs> computer's doing the math. <laughs> anyway. Say, I was going to say, Rick has the advantage of having it do the math for him. We still roll our dice. Do you think converting Wrath of the Righteous is possible with mythic rules? I know people hate it on them, but I'm a Pathfinder fanboy and loved all their content equally and don't want to omit them. I like the mythic rules. I was going to say, I never got to play the mythic rules, yeah. but I always mm. thought they were super cool. I have an immediate idea of how I would do it. Mm-hmm. Which means yes. Which would be, uh, I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even try to create mythic rules. What I would do is give you the equivalent of the free archetype rules. But okay. instead of getting free archetype feats, I would let you get class feats at four levels higher. Hmm. So that your second level oh. fighter is using sixth level feats, so that your fourteenth level fighter is using eighteenth level feats, because of the curvature of the feat progression, I think that you could still mimic being substantially powerful, more powerful that way. Hmm. Huh. You also get around the there's the weird thing in the mythic rule set, if I remember correctly, where eventually you can't be damaged by non-mythic like attacks, so it kind of like gets to a point where it's just like, oh, I see you're just like a basic person. I'm just, you know, I'm just going to beat you down. Like, I well, yeah, no challenge, you're, you know. You're like a demigod by the time that you reach that point. But that's you're also like, by yeah. the time that's that like you're... That's like the tie highest tier mythic. Like you're yeah. practically 20th level mythic 10 before that even happens, so... <laughs> yeah, but it, like there's that point you reach where it's like basically you're so overpowered that it's like, oh, okay... There's not really a challenge. But by the time that you reach that point, it's almost pointless in the game because you will not be fighting anything that's not You're mythic. You're fighting other mythic. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and that's kind of the point of the mythic rules. Yeah. You know, is to God, be ridiculous. To and, <laughs> I mean, again, I think you could find a way to make it work with the system. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that's a good idea. I mean, like similar with uh, spells, like being automatically heightened or something like that. Yeah. Um, you might even do something where you, if a spell normally can't be heightened, but it had like a mythic version, you might just add some heightening to it so that it can. Actually, I like Ross's idea right there where it's uh, maybe every two levels you get to choose a signature spell of yours to make mythic and then it's Ooh. automatically heightened four levels. That'd be mm -hmm. cool. That would be cool. Now, what are you going to do for yeah. us melee folk? <laughs> bonus feats. Non -magic users. Yeah, bonus feats. You get be cool. you bonus feats. Yeah, so many feats. You're a second level swashbuckler with a six level swashbuckler feat. That'd be pretty cool. I mean, you if know. you're talking mythic too, you could maybe occasionally just add bonus weapon dice or something like at a certain yeah. level, um, just automatically without <laughs> like automatically to get magic. my weapons I hold in my hand or or you know like plus striking. One striking, striking now. Yeah. yeah. There's a thing. There's a an alt rule that's like auto wep auto weapon leveling or something. Mm. Right now. Yeah, you honestly, if you want to make a character powerful enough, you could probably get around it by just giving them all of the alternative rules. Yeah, that are out right now. So giving like them the free archetype feat, giving them all the bonus uh, the ancestry uh, ancestry feats, and all the rest mm -hmm. of that stuff, giving them like every single bonus, every single mechanical benefit from that all at once. Giving them additional yeah. ability boosts. Yeah, additional ability oh, yeah, boosts would good. easily work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you get those automatically with the normal mythic rules. So instead, yeah, just. Strap them in the Or even system. give them some focus spells or focus powers. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see your focus mythic powers, powers being like focus yeah. point driven. That'd yeah. be fun. Yeah, and I will 
flat out state to be to begin with though uh of any adventure path to convert from 1e to 2e i think wrath of the righteous would be the most difficult yes just because you would have to work around so much but i'm Mm -hmm. sure someone's out there doing it i'm sure but good luck to them (laughs) yeah or you could just take the fromsoft approach and just convert it by the book excluding the mythic things don't give the players any extra power and wish them luck well, Ouch. <laughs> we go Dark Souls mode. Prepare to Dark do. Souls, Wrath of the Righteous. <laughs> yes. Oh god, the Dark Souls adventure path, which probably do, would be Wrath of the Righteous. Do we get free reses though when we all TPK? Because that's I feel like that's a necessary part of that game cycle. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. You get a free res, but then you have to rush all the way back there to get your levels back or something. Or and every gear. time we sleep, all the monsters. Respond. Oh, your gear. <laughs> and every time you sleep, the monsters respond. No. <laughs> oh no. That sounds awful. By the way, I need my yeah. souls. all right well let's uh, move on to victor's second question which is do you think wrath and carrion crown are convertible with rules for 2e as we have them now with limited hardbacks out wrath no carrion crown probably yeah yeah carrion crown Absolutely. It's good too. You'd have to you'd have to do mm. a couple of the monsters custom because I don't think they're in the best series. But well, a couple yeah. of the monsters were custom anyway from the start. So yeah, yeah. But, well, yeah. I mean, like yeah, I would imagine that awesome. it wouldn't be that too difficult. And it's Ooh. it's one of those advantages. The older the adventure path is, the fewer like rare esoteric monsters there tend to be in there. Oh, there's so many haunts in Carrion Crown. I think getting to use the new haunt mechanics with that would be yeah. super cool. Oh, that'd be oh great. man. Ah, <laughs> oh, now I wish I had been able to do that when I ran it. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're didn't, playing it again, everybody. Didn't use the, the new troop rules for all the zombies? Oh, man. Yeah, I don't really want to control this many zombies. Oh. Troop of zombies. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> See, now I'm just like, man, if only second edition had been out when I was running this. Mm. So we'll see if we eventually get to do an alternate universe version of our Carrying Crown characters where we mm. play through on a <laughs> podcast or something. Or do a one-off thing where it's just like, uh-huh. <laughs> I've got to wait till the magic book comes out for Summoner. All right. Well, uh, Forever GM Victor closes with, hope you have time to respond and look forward to becoming a fan of your guys' channel. Oh. I was going to say, you, ri- you wrote in. That's like yeah. top 10% activity right there. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate that, Victor. So for this Thank next you. email. So big shout out to Eric because he provided a pronunciation guide for me for where he's from in the Netherlands. So hopefully I get this right. International. So this is Eric mm-hmm. from Eindhoven. Cool. Very so cool. Let me know if cool. I got it right. Eric. I hope I did. I followed your directions. <laughs> <laughs> he says, oh, wait, where are we putting him? Uh, right. Let's see. Netherlands. Land of the Lenorm Kings? Maybe? Yeah, that would make the most sense. Yeah, yeah, I'll come from a land of ice and snow. Yeah, uh, Halgrim, I think, would be a cool one. Halgrim. That one. That's Halgrim, nice. Yeah, that's the one where I believe the Lenorum's actually part, like, basically um, a servant of the king there. Mm. Because instead of uh, killing the Lenorum, she basically controlled it. Mm-hmm. So technically, she. Like a, yeah, it was like a bargain one. or something. Yeah, I forget about what that yeah, is. So, yeah, it's very interesting, but. Yeah, anytime yeah. I think about the Land of Lenorm Kings, I always think about the Ironbound Ice Archipelago, just because uh, it's yes. like, that's a cool-sounding place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also Actually, where the Mordant Spire is. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. So he says, I have a few questions. Rick and Ross, when converting Pathfinder 1E to 2E, how do you prefer to convert NPCs? 
Do you build them from the ground up like a PC, or do you use one of the quicker ways from the Game Mastery Guide, or do you have perhaps your own way of handling this? You want to go first, or should I, Ross? Um, I'll go first, just because I think mine's going to be fairly easy. Um, basically, it depends on the NPC. If I think that they're going to be sticking around for a while and um, assisting in like combat or something like that, I'll build them kind of similar to a PC. Otherwise, I'll just kind of throw together an NPC based off of bits from either like the back of the Game Mastery Guide or just, you know, based on the monster creation rules or something, if it's somebody who's just going to be in for a little bit. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I'm with Ross there. Um, if it's an NPC that is going to be a prominent part of the story, I will do, a, you know, a full conversion. Um, I take a little bit of the like lazy GM track where mm. uh, sometimes I'll just look at it and go, eh, Datari guard, city guard. Eh, I'll just give him a short sword. What's the difference? <laughs> yeah. What's the difference? And now he's Datari. Uh, yeah, nice. so I'll, I'll do that periodically where I'll just like, I'm fi I'll find somebody that has a similar stat block and just be like, I'll just switch out a couple items on them and call it a day. Now that there are so many stat blocks established for NPCs now. Uh, what I was going to say is for the Lumber Consortium, the only thing I did was like switch out, I think, uh, the bandits' normal spears for axes, and that was about it. So, yeah, I did kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're in the Lumber Consortium. They have to use an axe. Exactly. All right. Eric's next question is, there have been several questions already concerning playing LGBTQ characters. What I was wondering is mm -hmm. when and how do you decide you want to play a character that is LGBTQ? Um, I, if y'all don't mind, I'll start with this. And I don't typically like start out with this unless have, I have a very specific like character path I want them to take. Otherwise, I kind of feel it out organically because I feel like that's kind of how life mm -hmm. is. Um, mm -hmm. That you would kind of, you know, through your experiences kind of learn. Um, so for like my younger characters, I tend to go that direction. But if for my older characters, they probably are more experienced and would know. But every now and then uh, I do have a very specific like, yes, my character is this. I want to represent this and I make a point to point it out. <laughs> a lot of times it's when I'm writing their backstory, like, and it just sort of, or when I'm researching sometimes something just feels more right for that character. I know that's not very specific, but <laughs> no, I, I, yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Cause I feel the same way where like, I, I typically, I do the, I do the full like stat block for the, the, the character I'm going to play. And then when I write the backstory, it just, I kind of feel it from the character, yeah. I guess. Would be yeah. The way. Like as I'm putting myself in the character's head, like mm -hmm. it just kind of comes to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I completely agree with that. That it, it again, it's, it's good to take an organic approach. If you're making a character with the intent for that character to, of course, be LGBTQ, then you can shape the character around that however you want. But a lot of times, it's it's almost my approach to almost any character that I make, is I usually start with a class, and then everything else about that character just kind of grows from there, where it's just, mm -hmm. does this character strike me as being gay or straight or asexual? Or Sometimes I, I will just take the approach where, uh, I think it's the Bioware approach, do I meet an NPC that I like so much that I go, my character is definitely interested in this character, regardless yeah, was, of said character's mm -hmm. gender. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I kind of believe that everybody's a little bit gay. So it's like, is Adria gay? Maybe not, yeah. but Laria's cool. So maybe she's, I don't know, open yeah. to it. Well, and like in real life, sometimes you just 
it may be something you haven't you're not sure about or you're still giving yeah. thought to or something like that so and that, that could be the same for out. yeah exactly the exact same thing for a character so Honestly, in a world where there are half-elves and Typhlings and Azimars and all the other different races <laughs> that you can be half-ofs and intermingle at that point, does anybody really care what gender you prefer? Yeah. Everyone's pansexual. There you go. An elf and a human are technically two completely different species from <laughs> the set, you know, in the setting. So in mm -hmm. a setting where that kind, where it's one of those, yeah, I'm married to a person of a completely different species, who gives a if you're attracted to men or women at that point. My brain always goes to Mass Effect because they really push like, you know, Ashley or Caden. It's like, no, everybody no, wants the Archangel. No. Everybody yeah. wants Garrus. Uh -huh. <laughs> Tying back actually to a previous uh, email that we just had earlier. That is one of the sad things about not as many people playing Wrath of the Righteous because Wrath of the Righteous has some amazing representation in it. True. So... Which is unfortunate because it doesn't actually get played as much as many of the other adventure paths. Well, it's going to be a video game now. It is true, and I am very much looking forward to that. And so I, excited. I already know the character that, regardless of uh, my character's gender, I, I will be straight and or gay for that character. Because mm -hmm. they're amazing. <laughs> yep, fair enough. Fair. fair. All right. Eric's next question. I've started listening to Hell's Rebels podcast mainly because I'm planning to run it in 2E later this year after I finish Strange Aeons. Awesome. Very cool. And now I love it. Hmm. I've also started listening to Tyrant's Grasp and Tales from Dark Moon Vale. Ooh. You all do amazing voices which really bring the characters to life. But which voice from which character of any Ooh. of the games you play do you like best? <laughs> I don't know. I've got one. I have the most fun with an armor. I was just saying, armor is Armor is Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. He gets sense. the most laughs. Hey guys, I don't even belong on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, he's here. I feel like it doesn't matter how late or early or when or where. Hollis is the easiest and the the core, most core to my personality accent. So uh, that one is my favorite. Mm. Right, getting lots of mummy's mass love so far. That's fair. Um, I, I would go with Octavius from Tyrant's Grasp, um, even though it kind of hurts my voice to do that because it like the the microphone doesn't really pick it up. It's pretty grumbly and, and gravelly. Uh, there's something about like playing playing that doing that voice that's weirdly cathartic, and it kind of makes me feel fun. Like it just feels fun to do that accent because it's kind of a weird mm. one. I like Cesare's like lyrical Italian. So, but I have to. I have to think about it so much that sometimes I'm like, am I even in the right accent? So I'm kind I of split there. I, I, I keep sliding Eastern European. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're so close, you know. Sure. Mine is probably definitely Darcy. Really? Uh, because one, it's one of the easiest accents for me to slip into. And because I kind of get to I get to be snarkier with Darcy than I do any of my other characters. Rachel does like to be snarky. And I like love being salty. snarky. It's very strange for me to have picked so many characters in our pod games where I'm not like a trash talking in your face kind of weirdo because that's <laughs> usually what I play. And so like Darcy is the closest I can get to, I think how I genuinely want to respond to things. Real quick, and I'll just throw this out there and I uh, don't want to interrupt before Ross gets to make his choice, yeah. but uh, I do just want to see some Starfinder go on so that Rachel can play like a big Vesk. Like this big trash talking <laughs> oh, wizard. Like, yeah. Oh, wow. Sure. What are you talking yeah. about, tiny human? 
<laughs> I've always wanted to do a halfling barbarian. That or one of you see a skittermander. Like you play a skittermander that like gives up I'm the entire skittermander way of helping, and it's just like I'll kill you all. <laughs> <laughs> I have an accent ready for a Starfinder character, yep. but we're not doing twin that guns in every direction and the little like chest burster thing coming out. How about you, Russ? It's it's hard. Um, I mean, Tales from Darkmoon Vale, I have not played a lot of NPCs for that one so far, generally, besides like sure. villains that the party has defeated, usually in the episode they meet them. Um, <laughs> of the ones, I'm probably going to go with Nicolo, just to A, give Hell's Rebel some love. Um, there you go. So did, so did Heather. Yeah, that's, that's true. She did. She did. Nicolo's fun just because he has this sort of very matter-of-fact way of speaking, but every once in a while, you know, he likes to throw in, like, a little joke or gag in there, which I think catches people off guard because he says it mm-hmm. so seriously. Um, <laughs> I think so. what I enjoy the most about your voice acting for Nicolo is that he always sounds a little exasperated. Mm-hmm. He always <laughs> feels a little exasperated, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I can't imagine why. So it's come down to two mummy's mask, two, two tyrant's grasps, Two Hell's Rebels. Mm-hmm. Very even That's split. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh. So listen to all of them because they're all pretty amazing deliveries. Yep. If I do say so myself, which I do. It's true. You have to get a few episodes in to, to meet Hollis, but... Hmm. More, than, more than a few. <laughs> Continuing on with kind of the Hell's Rebels stuff, though, uh, games like Hell's Rebels contain some content that not everybody is comfortable with. I won't go into spoilers. Is this something you discussed beforehand? And if so, how do you do it without giving too much spoilers? In the case of Hell's Rebels, I did not. Uh, In large part because almost, strangely, almost everything that Hell's Rebels touches on is something that this group has already encountered at one point or another between uh, Carrion Crown, which we did, Strange Aeons, which we did half of. Uh, Basically, we've done a lot of very dark adventure paths. And so Mm -hmm. when Hell's Rebels gets dark, of which it will, there's fortunately a lightness in there, and by that I mean you can overcome the darkness and actually improve the situation around you. Uh, it is also stuff that the party has dealt with previously. Mm-hmm. I do very much believe that you should, uh, if you believe that it's going to touch on any subjects that will make people particularly uncomfortable. Or if you don't know your players that well. Yeah, Especially Rick, if you don't know your players that well. Rick knows us all pretty well, and since it's all stuff that we've encountered in other games, I'm not, with him saying that, okay, I'm not worried about it, because I know it's all stuff that he knows we're comfortable with. There's only one or two of them that I'm just like, I'm going to have to put a content warning on this episode. Hmm. Quite feasibly, if you guys are fighting tooth fairies ahead, I'll put the content warning up there because I know for some people losing teeth Frickin is a big tooth thing. fairies. It's the stuff of my literal <laughs> nightmares. So of course we have yep. to have it in this pod. <laughs> We're also, of course, recording this just before Ross is going to the dentist. Yep. So. Yeah, I was about to say. Like, I have a dental appointment later this week on as of this recording. So I'm just like, why, Rick? Tooth fairies. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bombard him with pictures of tooth fairies. Look how happy he is. Oh, yeah, well, and mm-hmm. giving content warnings doesn't, you don't have to tell them when or where it will happen. Yes. You just have to say, hey, there's going to be body horror and there's a lot of gore. Uh, is yeah. everybody okay with that? What's the level? And then just mm-hmm. kind of have a, if you're uncomfortable, like put a little X in chat or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's also the idea of like, with those warnings of putting it into like kind of the movie rating system. So like, 
do you want it to be NC-17, R, PG-13, PG, or G, right? Because, like, as a GM, you can always remove details, I, and that might make it better. I do. I agree a bit more with Jessica's approach than that. Because that one's in that, like, weird. Me, for instance. I can watch any Cronenberg-esque, any whatever of those horrifying films. Needles. I hate needles. I hate watching needles go into things. I particularly hate needles going into eyes. Okay. It doesn't... Mm like make me physically nauseous but it does make me uncomfortable and that's just it's a small thing and in the meantime i have no problem watching a chest burster explode out of a dude uh so it's usually on a specific subject the person will have an issue uh jessica's statement on it i think is 100 percent correct in that the problem with the idea of it being a spoiler is that that implies the idea of wanting to surprise someone with something like are you okay with child murder and you can say that, and you go, well, now I know that there's going to be a child murder in here. But that helps But at least decide. it also means I'm not going to be blindsided with a child murder. Yeah. Well, because that gives someone a chance to say, nope, not okay with child murder. Yeah. And yeah. either bow out of the game or change the plot of that game. Yeah. Or not to make this too humorous or anything, but you can just increase the person's age. Yeah, like, I'm not okay if they're a child, but 16? All right. Well, and it could be like, how graphic is it, right? Because then yes. it could just be like, hearing that a child has died versus, quote, witnessing is different. Encountering yes. it or something like that, yeah. I was going to say from a player standpoint, just because I think I probably have the most uh, issues out of everybody here when it comes to triggers. Um, tell your GM, don't, don't let yourself be blindsided. If you know something specific is going to trigger you, don't keep that in and wait for it to happen and then get mad or offended or, or bothered by it. You know, make sure that you are opening that line of communication because otherwise it's just going to be bad around for everybody. That's a very valid point, especially if you know that you've had a negative experience with it in the past. Um, like, Heather's afraid of spiders, but I don't think Heather's afraid of the concept of a spider. No, I mean, like, I'm not so arachnophobic that, like, the it ruins realistic, yeah, the realistic spiders in, like, video games and stuff. Yeah, they kind of creep me out, but it doesn't bother me. But, like, gore and stuff, I can watch that all day long, and part of it's because <laughs> of my job. Whatever. Blood, guts. Let's do that all day long. But you give her Isaac the spider. <laughs> He's freaking terrifying, okay? <laughs> <laughs> the other piece is, if you do tell your GM, hey, like, I don't know if this is in the adventure, but I'm really not okay with eyeballs being plucked out or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they say, too bad. Well, that tells you something about that. Yeah, that, that's yes, it does. Get that out of the way so you know to exit immediately. Because yes. that's yeah. not going to be a fun environment to play in, probably regardless. Jessica raises a, uh, a point about it's kind of an old school mentality. Um, I remember there was a funny, uh, there's an old co comic series for D&D that was called Knights at the Dinner Table. Uh, one of the things in there was, you know, they're filling out character sheets. It's like, okay, what do I put down here under weakness? Like, don't put anything under weakness. Your GM will just use it against you. <laughs> and it was kind of that same thing. That's like, if, you, if you're just like, oh yeah, I'm afraid of spiders. There are some people who immediately go, really? And then start to put spiders into ever yeah. absolutely everything mm -hmm. because they're attempting and to bother you. that's not fun no yeah yeah whereas like i i will joke around i will include uh, include a spider not even to get at heather most of the time just, i just go there's, there's a spider, a spider in the book mm -hmm. sometimes it'd be like and then he's crawling down your back and you know but i know that heather is not so arachnophobic that i'm going to give her a nightmare or something no <laughs> 
Yeah, I was about to say, like, if it, you know, in Tales from Darkmoon Vale, it's a very, I mean, basically, there's a spider in it somewhere. Um, it's <laughs> it doesn't the woods, really, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you're, you're in the woods. woods. Now I know to bring my plus one X of spider slang. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, if Heather had told me ahead of time, like, no, I can't handle any spiders. Yeah, I would have switched it out with something else. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, take the know. video game approach, replace it with a dog. Yeah, or, or a, a bear that stands chipmunk. up on its hind legs. <laughs> or a chipmunk. <laughs> Just a scary, scary chipmunk. It's a poisonous chipmunk. Uh, I think it was the first. Um, uh, Dragon Age where they replace it but they didn't change any of the animation or sound effects and so it's just oh, a gosh. dog comes down on a web and then starts shooting webs at you <laughs> <laughs> or like if it's you know like dog. I'm in real life afraid of heights so if I told that to Rick and then he's like oh yeah every five minutes I'm, you're all going to be on top of a building uh, have yeah. fun mm-hmm. jumping off of this you know I'd be like let me oh, in God. depth describe your vertigo Ross I know why <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, I'm terrified um, of heights so much. <laughs> Eric wraps up his email with a tip. Oh. He says, and a tip that may be useful to anyone converting 1E to 2E pertaining to treasure. What mm. I like to do is look up in the 2E core rulebook how much treasure the party should should get between levels, which is usually one part in an adventure path, and then distribute that all over the places where the adventure path has put treasure instead of what treasure is noted there. So thank Smart. you, folks, for the great podcasts. Keep it up and overthrow Thrun. Kind regards. Well, thank you, yep. Eric. That is a useful tip. I actually recently got a Will useful um, file linked to a th- sent from uh, Rovaga, God of Destruction, and a uh, friend mm. on the Discord <laughs> to, uh, to help with some conversion stuff. Weirdly helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. I appreciate Rovagug. your helping. I appreciate your help, Rovagug, and uh, uh, may you eventually break free and devour the universe. No, Please don't. we're alone. <laughs> I don't like you that. Stay in your pit forever. <laughs> stay in your prison. Stay in your prison with your spawn. Be to a prison, <laughs> Robogug. <laughs> I love a Hamlet reference. All right, and that uh, that pretty much wraps us up for today. So uh, thanks for joining us today, Pathfolk, and yeah. keep those emails coming. We love talking to you guys and and hearing from you. Let, yeah. let us know that 2021 is getting somewhat better. See you later, Pathfolk. Bye. 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 Join us, uh, join us next time for some more Tooth Fairy action. God, yeah, freaking Tooth baby. Fairies, I'm done. We're and maybe determine the who's behind the Tooth Fairies. Yes, Is the man behind cabal? the Tooth Who knows? Yes. I think. Cabal of yes. Tooth Fairy Summoners. Maybe there, maybe there just is a monarch that's just sitting them out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yes. Oh, <laughs> 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 Ah, the return of my terrible French accent. (laughs) Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Hell's Rebels is copyright 2015. Hell's Rebels and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission. Find the Path Ventures have converted Hell's Rebels from Pathfinder to Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Conversion notes are available to our Patreon backers at patreon.com backslash findthepath. 